Well, welcome uh, to Calvary Prineville, you guys. Glad you got to join us. Uh, it was great worshiping with um, Adam and uh, Andy and David, uh, who was at the soundboard and also singing some harmonies there. And uh, today we're in Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to be looking at verse 9, uh, hopefully uh, through verse 5 of chapter 22. So, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there today, and, uh, and we will get started. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we uh, come back from resetting the system here, thank you for um, just the wise guys in this room that um, are able to kind of figure out problems, and, and Lord, we look forward to the day when we will see you face-to-face uh, with no leg issues, and um, we'll be able to be together uh, in eternity in paradise, Lord. And so I pray right now, God, that your spirit would just invade our homes, our offices, our living rooms, even here at uh, the church in the fireside room. Meet us, Lord. Meet the guys that are running the computers and the cameras and um, that have been serving here today. Encourage our hearts in the midst of this crazy time. We know you are moving, and we just invite you to take our hearts, take our minds, take our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the story is told of uh, Pastor Murphy, who was a Scottish preacher in Glasgow, and uh, one day he went out street evangelizing and witnessing the gospel to people, and he decided to go into one of the local pubs where he asked the first man that he met, hey, do you want to go to heaven? And the man said, yes, I do. And so he said, hey, please line up over on the wall. Uh, He went to the next man. He said, do you want to go to heaven? Where the man said, of course I do. And so he said, hey, line up behind that man over at the wall. And then he went to the third man and he said, hey, do you want to go to heaven? To which the third man replied, no, I don't, sir. Pastor Murphy said, are you kidding me? Who doesn't want to go to heaven when they die? The third man said, oh, when I die, yes, I thought you were getting a group together to go right now. Well, heaven is something we should all desire. It's something we should all um, hope to attend, to be at, to uh, have the hope of. And it is something that even now we should want to go. And we're going to see in Revelation chapter 21 through chapter 22, uh, some of the beauties of heaven, some of the things that we could look forward to. Some of the things that it's okay to be lined up against the wall for. It's going to be paradise. It's something that we can look forward to. And so beginning at verse 9 of chapter 21, we're going to see a part of heaven that's called the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem, which has also been titled Eden Regained. Eden Regained, or the Garden of Eden. Uh, Come to us once again made new, something, a heaven afresh for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says that eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, <clears throat> nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. And you know, we often take that verse and we do think of it towards heaven that, oh, it's going to be so fantastic. We never even imagine how great it could be. 
the interesting thing is the very next verse goes on to say, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. Uh, And so through the word of God, we have a bit of an understanding of the mystery of what heaven will be like. The spirit of God through the prophets, through the apostles, has shown us many of the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love us. John chapter 14 tells us that Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And that one day he will come and get us for this place. How incredible it will be for us to go to the home of which Jesus has spent the last 2,000 years preparing for us. This home that's been called the New Jerusalem. Something splendid to think of. When the Prince of Preachers from the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, was training his young students for ministry, he used to tell them, When you talk about heaven, let your face light up with a heavenly glow. And when you talk about hell, your everyday face will do. And so today as I talk about heaven, I hope I have a heavenly glow. We actually had Johnny bring in a special video studio light just for today. Maybe put a little uh, glow and sparkle in my eye. Uh, Verse 9 of our text, Revelation chapter 21. And by the way, we are picking up in verse 9, so I encourage you to go back and listen to the beginning of this chapter where we see uh, all things being made new. We see the beginning of this heavenly experience. You can go back even on this very Facebook page to two weeks ago, uh, a week before Easter, And listen to that message. You can go to our YouTube page and listen to all of our Revelation studies. Or go to podcast to Calvary Chapel Prineville and listen. As well as listen on our website, calvaryprineville.com. So, all that being said, we are in verse 9 of Revelation 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride the lamb's wife. So the third set of judgments that we saw during the tribulation period were called the bowl judgments. Uh, They were very severe judgments and they were dished out, no pun intended, by angels. This is one of those angels and he's John's tour guide for this heavenly experience. Back in Revelation 15.1, I saw a sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Interesting to see this very angel who was used for God's wrath now being used to bestow something beautiful and gracious. As John Calvin put it, angels are the ministers of God's wrath as well as his grace. And this angel said, come, let me show you the bride, the lamb's wife. We already saw in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, where anyone who believes in Jesus and loves Jesus today, so that's many of us watching, uh, we see ourselves in the future in heaven being joined together with the groom of the church, Jesus. There's a great feast, and it's a great time. Uh, it's, It's really a time we look forward to today. 
Uh, and verse 10 of our text says, So he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So a few times in the book of Revelation, we see John the Revelator being carried away in the spirit. We see it in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. That it was on the Lord's Day, which is a Sunday, the, uh, the early church would worship uh, on Sunday in remembrance and celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. And John set the tone well for us being in the spirit, worshiping just as we are right now on a Sunday. <clears throat> and he heard behind him a loud voice as of a trumpet. This is the beginning of the revelation of Jesus that turns into the book of Revelation in chapter four, verse one, we also see Jesus being uh, John rather being caught up into the heaven. <clears throat> and so uh, here we have him being caught up and carried away, almost raptured in a sense, uh, to a great and high mountain. Maybe this is Mount Everest. Maybe this is a Himalaya mountain in the uh, restored earth. Or maybe this is a new mountain. As we know from the tribulation period, mountains were moved out of their place. Uh, doesn't say, so we don't need to worry about it. We just know it was a great and high mountain. And this angel showed John a city, a great city. So first of all, he says, let me show you the bride who is the lamb's wife. Uh, this, you can go back to Revelation 19. You can look at Ephesians chapter 5 to see that we are the bride of Christ, that marriage is a picture of the intimacy that we share with the Lord as we the church are the bride, as Jesus is the groom. And so the angel says, I'm going to show you the bride, and the next thing John sees is a city. So the bride, the lamb's wife, is a city. Uh, we're going to see in just a little bit that this city is personified as a her or as a she. So the new Jerusalem is called the Lamb's Wife. Uh, the author of the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye, writes this. When this city comes to the earth, it will be a people-filled city. People in their resurrected bodies after the millennium, prepared to dwell with Christ for eternity. That is why this city, which surpasses the splendor of anything we can comprehend, is called the bride, the lamb's wife. And then LaHaye says, A city is more than buildings and streets, for these are merely the means of providing for the inhabitants that compose the real city. And so we see a city, but the city isn't just the buildings, the plumbing, the streets, the pavements, the lighting. Uh, the city are the people. And so uh, here we have the bride, the people of the church coming down out of heaven, uh, kind of in, uh, in a beautiful revealing of this new place, this new city, this home that Jesus has prepared for us. And verse 11 of our text today says, having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. And so the descriptions of this city and of the, the bride uh, are, are laid before us 
in the following verses. It's, it's something beautiful to behold. Uh, this glory of God is described uh, over her, that she has splendor. She has brightness. It speaks of amazing might and praise and greatness. And so here we see the city's radiance or her radiance. It says her light was like a most precious stone. It speaks of splendor. It, it has in the Greek connotations of a radiant gem or something that is precious and valued. You know, to this day, uh, I remember going engagement ring shopping with Lindsay. There's something about being a 20-year-old young guy with barely any money in his pocket and going into these stores where you clearly don't belong. Uh, you're walking through and people in suits, fancy dresses that smell like cologne and perfume are asking to help you. You're wearing a Billabong t-shirt and a holy pair of jeans and you're asking to see things in the cabinet that you clearly can't afford. And, uh, and yet, you know, the, as the general rule is, you're to spend a month's salary on your uh, future wife's engagement ring. I don't know if I got a weekend salary put into my wife's, but, um, but I tried. And to this day, I can remember being in this jewelry store and actually having a bit of heaven. You know, uh, there's something beautiful in all of these precious stones, and they're so clean and polished and put out on display to make a sale. Um, but not much is even needed to be done for these beautiful gems. Um, and we know that this new Jerusalem is something that is so beautiful, that the Lord has been preparing for us, and by the grace of God, we do belong there. Whether we're wearing that Quicksilver shirt and a pair of shorts, or whether you're more into a suit and tie, uh, the Lord's grace has prepared us for this beautiful place. It's also described as a jasper stone, clear as crystal. If you were to look up jasper stone, you would find a red, uh, nearly blood red stone. It's not the first time in the book of Revelation that we've, we've seen the jasper stone. But in the Greek, it actually says that her peer, appearance is like a diamond. It's like a diamond, as clear as crystal. So those of you gals at home who have that diamond ring on your finger... Go ahead and take a look at it right now and show it to your family members and look at that beautiful diamond sparkling in the light, seeing the rainbow shining off of it with all of the different facets, different facets exposed. Um, Duval writes that this is a translucent stone, perhaps an opal or even a diamond. I recently read about the hope diamond that is on display in the Smithsonian. We actually have a picture for you of it, of this Hope Diamond. Uh, it weighs 45.5 carats and has an estimated value of $350 million. For hundreds of years, she has been coveted by collectors and royalty and kings and queens, but there's been numerous reports of a curse attached to the Hope Diamond that's allegedly affect many people who've possessed or owned or handled it. The heavenly city of the New Jerusalem descends out of heaven truly as a Hope 
diamond. It will look like a colossal diamond that shows the glory of God. The beautiful thing, though, is that the curse from our sin has been removed from this hope diamond, so there's no longer curse associated. We'll see that in chapter 22. More about the new Jerusalem is in verse 12. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So not only did we just see her radiance, but now we see her gates. Now, those of you that are Bible students out there, you've been trained to look for repeated words. And in this verse, what word is repeated but the number 12? In biblical numerology, the number 12 is a perfect number symbolizing perfection of government or of governmental perfection. It's found all over the Bible and has to do with ruling. So the repetition of the number 12 is to remind us that the great heavenly city is constructed in such a way as to represent God's perfect and divine governmental rule. And so we have a high wall. What is this wall for? What is the purpose? Is it for keeping people out or keeping people in? Is it for security purposes? It is a great and high wall. You've heard of the Great Wall of China. Here we have the Great Wall of Heaven. Walls are symbolic of security and stability. We see here that there are angels at the gates. These angels are not St. Peter, as folklore has often said. And what are these angels at the gate of the wall for? Are they there to guard? Are they there for stewardship? Are they there for attending? One commentator said that these angels are divine honor guards. There are names on these gates. If you were to go to Jerusalem today, uh, you would spend time around the wall of Jerusalem and you would go in and out through the gates of the old wall, hundreds of years old. And instead of the names of the Dung Gate, which I always thought was a hilarious name there around Jerusalem, you've got the Dung Gate, the Jaffa Gate, the Damascus Gate, the Lion's Gate, the Eastern Gate, or the Zion Gate. Instead of those being the names, you have the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. We see in verse 13 that there are three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. So three gates in each direction. In verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Uh, When you go to Capernaum in Israel today, just on the Sea of Galilee, uh, you'll go to the synagogue where Jesus did so much of his ministry. Now, it's actually not the original synagogue. Uh, It's a couple hundred years newer. However, it is built upon the old uh, foundation stones of the synagogue from Jesus' day. And they actually have those uh, uh, foundation stones exposed to where you can see the different layers 
from previous synagogues. Uh, And so interesting here in the New Jerusalem, different layers of the foundation are also shown. And uh, they have 12 foundations. So we see her walls, we see her foundations. And interesting, the names of the 12 apostles are written in this foundation. Oftentimes, people will write their names in fresh cement as they're pouring sidewalks or foundations. Many of you have probably done that. Put your handprint, footprint, wrote your name, and that to this day uh, probably still remains. I know many of you, I've been to your house and I've seen the carvings and the etchings from the builders of the house or from when you and your kids laid that sidewalk. It's special, it's fun for remembering And that's something the Lord has in mind here. Remembering the foundation of the New Jerusalem are those 12 apostles. In fact, the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 20 says that the church has been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Chuck Swindoll rightly notes concerning the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles that have their names on the gates and the foundation. He writes, thus the city will be the dwelling place of the united people of God. Old and New Testament believers whose salvation rests on the complete work of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 says, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city its gates, and its wall. So John is given a measuring stick or a measuring rod, and it's made out of gold. For those of you that are in construction today, it's kind of a gold-plated Fat Max measuring tape. It might even have the fractions written above the markings just to make it easier for you. So he's given this measuring reed to measure out the city. Verse 16 says the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. So some things we know about the New Jerusalem, that this city is a square. The city is a square. I was reading in a World War II um, book this week of uh, a B-17 bomber that had to bomb a city in France. And the name of the city escapes me. But it was famous for its champagne. And it wanted to be known as this city that was famous for champagne. Sadly, the uh, Nazi Germany had invaded it, and so it it had to be bombed. And yet, uh, the city, when they laid out the city, they noticed that there was a bend in the river that kind of afforded the shape of a, a cork on a champagne bottle. And so the city center is outlined and shaped with a park like the champagne cork. And, uh, and so in that case, this French city was laid out like a cork, and, uh, and here the New Jerusalem laid out like a square. Uh, its length is as long as, as the same as its breadth, and that would be um, 12,000 furlongs uh, in each direction. Now, a furlong, <coughs> you probably already know this, so forgive me for a stating the obvious, but it's an eighth of a mile, okay? So 12,000 furlongs would be 1,500 miles. So here we have a city that is going in 1,500 miles in every direction. 
Guzig says the size of the New Jerusalem is enormous. 12,000 furlongs equals 1,500 miles. This is the same distance as from Maine to Florida. It's the square footage that's approximately the size of the moon. Leon Morris says, a city of this size is too large for the imagination to take in. John is certainly conveying the idea of splendor. And, more importantly, that there is room for all. There is room for all of the redeemed. Now, what's more than all of this is that the New Jerusalem is actually a cube. So the New Jerusalem is 3.375 trillion miles cubed. Now, the earth itself currently has only 49 million habitable square miles. So imagine this city that God has prepared that looks like a diamond with its 3.375 trillion cubed miles made just for us. Sandy Adams from Calvary Chapel, Stone Mountain, Georgia, helped me when he wrote this. If the upper right-hand corner sat in Boston, then the other three corners would land in Miami, Phoenix, and Calgary, Canada. The city would cover about three-quarters of the area of the United States. This is a city two and a quarter million square miles But the most mind-boggling dimension is its height. It's also 1,500 miles high. Consider that today the Earth's atmosphere extends only 600 miles. That means if it sat down on the Earth today, the New Jerusalem would extend 900 miles into outer space. More of it would be above the atmosphere than below it. The size of the New Jerusalem would be just a little smaller than the moon. Imagine, too, a city with 3D living space. Its inhabitants live not just at the base, but throughout the structure. This increases its living area to 3 billion square miles, more than enough for all the saved throughout the ages. I heard this week that Friday was the uh, anniversary of the Apollo 13 uh, space mission returning back to Earth. If you've seen Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks and Kevin Bacon, it's a great story of some of our astronaut heroes and some of the problems that they went through trying to go around the moon. Uh, But they're famous for that statement as they're up in outer space where they said, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, You can imagine if that were to happen during the time of the New Jerusalem, uh, they would realize they've got a problem and they'd look out and, you know, they're probably looking into a window of of the New Jerusalem. Not as much of a bad problem at the moment. Uh, So one thing that this giant space of the New Jerusalem, I've read this many times, is that it conveys that there's enough room, okay? All of the Christians who've been born-again Christians throughout 
uh, history, even those that would be looking uh, ahead toward Jesus, there's enough room in heaven for everyone. Dr. Henry Morris, having done the math, concluded that given the possibility that there would have been 100 billion people in the human race throughout history, and that 20% of them would be saved, of 20 billion residents, each person would enjoy a block of space of approximately one cubic mile, or its length, breadth, and height would be little over a third of a mile in each direction. That's 75 acres of New Jerusalem for every one of us believers. Now, of course, this is highly speculative, but it illustrates the point that there's plenty of room in the New Jerusalem for the redeemed, for the bride, for the Lamb's wife. And if you're tuning in today, there's plenty of room for you if you would join us as being a follower of Jesus Christ, receiving Him as the Savior from your sins and the Lord of your life. Tim LaHaye, again from the Left Behind series, the author, this is not from the series, but from the author, can you imagine the view from your apartment house overlooking the holy city and extending as far as the eye can see from an elevation of 1,500 miles? It's incredible to read of the New Jerusalem. In verse 17 of our text, then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. So the height of the wall is 216 feet. We know that a cubit is 18 inches. It's supposedly the distance between the top of a man's finger uh, to the bottom of his elbow. And uh, this is how Noah would measure the ark. And actually, growing up, uh, actually, I think I moved 13 times before I graduated high school. And as we would move, my mom would try to figure out where our different uh, furnitures and appliances could go. And she would uh, often measure things with whether her, her wingspan or her cubit uh, and the like. And here we have the measuring here in, in heaven using a cubit, which is 18 inches. So 144 cubits is about 216 feet. So the wall is as high as a 20-story building. Henry Morris, again from the Creation Research Institute, writes, The New Jerusalem is composed of such beautiful materials, such unique construction, and such amazing dimensions as to be almost beyond human comprehension. I've taught this study many, many times, and every time I come to this section, I love it because I love trying to let my imagination run with the things that God has described for us, the things that he has prepared for those that love us. So maybe you're sitting at home today, and this is almost too much for comprehension. This is the measure of a man, it said, or that is, of an angel. And an, under, an understanding of this would be that they are the same standards of measurements. Uh, man would understand what the angel's measuring out here. Verse 18 The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. So 
The wall of the New Jerusalem was made of jasper, which is a red, yellowish, white, or gray. It says that uh, in one definition, or with goatite, a brown or yellow. It depends on where this jasper is found. But that the city itself is of pure gold that's like see-through clear glass. Mounts wrote that the servants of God get to walk upon gold. Perhaps you've heard the old joke that when a man got to bring one suitcase with him to heaven, he decided to pack it full of gold bars, to which when he got to St. Peter's gate, St. Peter said, what in the world did you bring pavement for? It's the old hilarious knee-slapping joke because uh, the streets are paved with gold in the New Jerusalem. Leon Morris says that John's use of riches in his description is his way of bringing out the very great value of what God has for his people. Let's read verses 19 and 20 together. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardox, the sixth sardis, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And so you can do on your own time just a research of all these different types of stones that make up this foundation, and you will see a kaleidoscope, a rainbow in appearance. Now, remember the foundations of the wall not only are beautiful with all of these stones, but they have the 12 apostles' names written in them. They're adorned with precious stones with the names of the apostles. As Johnson says, the symbolism is not meant to give the impression so much of wealth and luxury, but to point to the glory and the holiness of God. Verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. So we see her gates. Each gate was a giant pearl. One man said, I'd like to see the size of the oyster that made that pearl. Pearly gates that we've heard of in heaven is a bit of an understatement. The gates of heaven are not pearly gates. They are actually pearl gates. A story was told one day at the entrance of heaven that St. Peter saw a group of punks, obviously from a street gang, walk up to the pearly gates. This being a first, St. Peter ran to God and said, God, there are some evil thieving punks at the pearly gate. What do I do? To which God replied, just do what you normally do with that type. Check to see if their names are written in the book of life. St. Peter went back to carry out the order, and all of a sudden he comes running back yelling, God, God, they're gone. They're gone. Who, the punks, God said? No, the pearly gates. Apparently the punks stole the pearly gates. You don't got to worry about that, you guys. Praise the Lord, punks are led into heaven. I'm the chief of them. I'm so glad that God lets punks into heaven. But these pearl gates will not be stolen. We also see her streets. 
made of gold like transparent glass. Lazion writes this. Think about this. Here we have things that the unsaved world craves and lusts after. Pearls, diamonds, gold, and other precious stones. But what so many people lust after on earth is nothing more than building materials in heaven. Gold is like asphalt and pearls are like lumber. In verse 22, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now we see her temple. There is no temple there. There's no need for the temple because Jesus and the Father are dwelling there. There's no more need for sacrifice, for the Lamb is there with his scars to remind us of the sacrifice. Verse 23, the city had no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The lamb is its light. Now remember the context here is of the city. The city itself has no need for any sort of light because her source of light is the lamb. There is no need for the sun or the moon in the city because God's glory illuminates it. The lamb is its light. That doesn't necessarily mean that there's no sun or that there's no moon. It just means there's no need for it because Jesus is there in all of his radiant glory. Lehman Strauss writes, In that city which Christ has prepared for his own, there will be no created light simply because Christ himself, who is the uncreated light, will be there. The created lights of God and of men are as darkness when compared with our blessed Lord. The light he diffuses throughout eternity is the unclouded, undimmed glory of his own holy presence. In consequence of the fullness of that light, there shall be No night. Verse 24. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor of the nations into it. This is a beautiful passage for those of us that understand the missiological heart of God. That God is a missionary God. That he is pursuing even today every tribe, every tongue, every people and every nation. And we know from early on in Revelation that all of those nations will come to know the Lord. Jesus will be a blessing to all of those nations. And here we see all of the nations who are saved, such an exciting passage, will walk in the light. This shows her accessibility. The Lamb's wife, the city of Jerusalem, is accessible to all of the nations. Literally, The kings of the earth will bring the glory and the honor of the nations to him. Here we see the bookends of the promises in Genesis to Abraham. That through Abraham's seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. I love Isaiah chapter 60 verses 3 through 5. Where it says, the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you 
Your son shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you, and the wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Love that passage. Just saying, Lord, when you see all of these nations coming that you have redeemed, that have been saved by you, you're going to see this, and Lord, you are just going to become like a beaming, proud father. You are going to become radiant, and your heart is going to swell with joy. Think of the global nature of the Olympic Games and how wonderful it is at the opening ceremonies to see all of the nations and the tribes and the different languages all coming together and celebrating with their flags and their colors and their voices, all with one unified purpose, that of athletics and, and triumph. And that is just a small, weaker image of this day in the New Jerusalem, when all of the nations who've been saved come with their emblems and their banners and their colors and their languages and their their people groups, and they will all come with the unified purpose of worshiping Jesus and beholding his beauty. Verse 25 says, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. Most cities would close their gates at night, but it's always light from the glory of Jesus, so there's no need to close the gates. Verse 26 says, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Uh, the original Greek says, so that they may enter in. Once again, we see the nations and all of their splendor. Think of what every nation has to offer even today in its glory and its splendor. They will come with that purpose of a chief end being to glorify the Lord. Verse 27, but there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so here we see her safety. We see her safety here that nothing that defiles will enter the city. No thugs stealing the pearly gates. No abomination. No lies. Isaiah 35 8 says that a highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. You've heard of Michael London in, uh, or yeah, Michael Lund Landon in uh, highway to heaven well here we have a highway in heaven and it's called the highway of holiness the unclean shall not pass over it but it shall be for others whoever walks the road although a fool shall not go astray so this beautiful uh, holy place of heaven joel three seventeen says you shall know that i'm the lord your god dwelling in zion my holy mountain then jerusalem shall be holy and no alien shall ever pass through her again. So we know that uh, this place is made up of all kinds of tribes, tongues, people, groups. The aliens would be those who don't belong there because they had no dealings with the Lamb of God, Jesus. Now there is a key here in this verse. As it says that there are many who will not be there. And at the end of the day, it is those who are not in the book of life. 
We see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, at the great white throne judgment, that of all the reasons that people would be judged and all of the books of their actions that would be open before God, what it comes down to is the book open that is the Lamb's book of life. And if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, you will be thrown into the lake of fire where there is forever weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I have pled before and I plead again that if you have not been born again, if you have not bowed your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord, the master of your life, the ruler of your heart and mind and soul and strength, if you have not asked Jesus to be the savior for, the, for your sin and received from him the washing away of your sins, His blood that atoned at the cross for the sins of the world would be applied to your life so that you could be saved from your sin and its penalty and its consequences. Then I plead with you today, right where you're at, on your couch or in your chair, as you're watching this, humble yourself before Almighty God and say, Jesus, you have not been the Lord of my life. You have not been the master of my actions Be that today. I submit myself to you and I line up under your authority. Jesus, you know that I have sinned against you and that I need my iniquities, my sins, my transgressions to be paid for so they could be washed away. And I hear Jesus from the Bible that you have paid for my sins at the cross. Please apply your atoning blood to my life and wash me whiter than snow. The Bible says that he will do just that. He will cleanse you from an evil conscience so that you can now live for him with good works. And he will sprinkle your mind with holy water uh, so that you could be a new creation, new indeed. In Revelation uh, chapter 21, we have this incredible story of the new Jerusalem. And as much as I wanted to go ahead and get through verse 5 today, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let us meditate on verses 9 and through the rest of the chapter. And next week we'll come back together and we will look at chapter 22, how verses 1 through 5 show an almost more magnified view of the new Jerusalem. So in chapter 21, we've, we've seen the new heavens and the new earth. That was two weeks ago. And then we zoom in like on Google Earth and we see a new city, which is called the New Jerusalem. And so next week, we're going to almost scroll in, zoom in closer in this uh, satellite imagery to what's inside this city. And it's, we're going to see a new garden, uh, it's the paradise of God, as I titled today even maybe prematurely, it's more for next week, Eden Restored or Eden Regained. And so that being said, I invite you to go ahead and close your Bibles and we will move to prayer. The last minute and a half or two minutes of this message streaming to you has been a plea for those of you who were apart from Christ whose lives have been marked with rebellion against God, 
disobedience to God. Your lives have been marked by your own lordship. You've been your own man, your own woman. You've done things your way. Something that the world applauds. You've boasted in your own strength, your own wisdom, how you think it should be done. When those things are in direct conflict and contrast to the ways of the Lord. The ways of the Lord are ways of humility. They're ways of submitting oneself to the mighty hand of God in His wisdom, His ways, His direction of our path. But because you've done it your own way, your life is marked with so much bitterness, so much pain, so much confusion, the destruction of your home, your marriage, your relationships. Or maybe even as you would know today, that there's a future destruction awaiting you on this earth. Think of uh, just how many this last week with tax season have realized that when they do it their own way, then they have this heap of, of, uh, of a record standing against them that, that there's no way they could ever pay this record off. How can I pay off these taxes that I haven't been paying? And, and there's just a bit a weight that's been placed upon you from disobedience and doing it your way. In the same manner, there's a weight upon your shoulders of a guilty conscience. And today, where you're at, if you would come to Jesus and just confess acknowledge your sin before the Lord that you've done it your way, which has been the wrong way, and it leads to death. There's forgiveness for you today. There's hope for you today. As you come and you submit yourself to God and you come under His Lordship and His love, He's not just a Lord, but He's a loving Lord. He's a merciful Lord. He's a gracious Lord. He gives blessings. And He wants to bless you as you would come to Him today. So maybe where you're at today, you might just find a nice spot on the floor of your home, maybe a nice carpeted spot, and you would bow your knees down. Maybe this would be the first time for you where you're at, first time in your life you've ever bowed down your knees to God. It's a position of humility. It's a position of Lowering yourself before the Lord and acknowledging His greatness. And if you know that the Lord has been speaking to you, I just invite you where you're at. Just forget anyone that you might be worried about what they think of you. If you're a husband, you can lead in this example. If you're a mom, you can lead in this example. If you're kids, go for it. Hit the deck. Take those knees to the earth right now. Humble yourself before God, and the Bible says He will lift you up. He resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And right now, if you would bow your knee before the Lord, and the concluding verse of our passage spoke of all kinds of sins of people who will not be coming into the new Jerusalem, and you just know you're dead to rights. You are red-handed, caught by the Lord You are a sinner and there's no reason you should go into the new Jerusalem but God. And today as you would bow a knee and take a knee, you can just confess to the Lord, 
your sin, that you're a sinner, that you have sinned against Him. But you can also receive right now His mercy, His forgiveness, His compassion, and His grace that He would now lift you up to have hope and life in Him. Not only forgiveness of sins, but an inheritance that He gives you. A heavenly inheritance, incorruptible, made just for you. We've read about a bit of that today. And so if you have taken a knee, if you are humbling yourself before God today, maybe you just can't quite bend the knee. Maybe today you would just lift your hand. You would lift your hands to the Lord. You would say, who Rory is talking about is me today, Lord. Maybe you would lift a hand. Maybe you would just acknowledge the Lord that that's you. And I just want to pray over you. And if you are able, you can just follow me in this prayer. I just want to help maybe you articulate with words what's happening in your heart and what the Lord is doing. And so if you'd like, you can repeat after me. You say, Lord, the words that you are speaking today from Revelation, they are for me. I'm seeing this new heaven and this new earth and this new Jerusalem and this paradise. And I want to be a part of what you've made for those that love you. But I'm painfully aware today that I have not loved you. I've shown that in the way that I've lived. And so, Lord, today, would you give me forgiveness for my sins? Forgiveness that you've bought and paid for at the cross of Calvary. Lord, would you not only forgive my sins and wash them away, give me a clean conscience today. Give me a new heart that can know you and live for you. Give me a new mind. Give me a new nature. And help me to live for you today as you would now be the Lord of my life. I confess you today as the Lord of my life. I believe today that you have saved me from my sin and saved me for this heaven that we're reading about. And I thank you, God, for winning my soul to you today. Show me how to live for you in these crazy and uncertain times. And if you're a Christian from your house today, will you pray with me and we will give this up to the Lord. And maybe today, you who just prayed that, you're, it's a, you're a new Christian and you can pray with me as well. Lord, thank you for your grace in making the new Jerusalem. Thank you for the day that we will be in a place where the Lamb of God is the light of the world. We will not need the sun or the moon or any other lamp because you will illuminate. We look forward to that day. And we are amazed that you've created such a vast structure to house your people. that can, They can enjoy paradise with you. And we look forward to the rest of this Revelation study where we see what that looks like. Prepare us to be this people that would be living for such a place. And help us to win as many souls as we can to join us there as we live this life out today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.